2: Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're celebrating International Women's Day. So shatter your glass ceilings. And let's get civical. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart, and I'm Arden Walentowski, and we're celebrating women today. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my women theme song. <laughs> I love it. It's so
1: good. It's yes, so good
2: because International Women's Day was this past week. This yes. past Monday, Tuesday, one of those Forget. days. It was, it I feel like week. I should know since
1: it's our, our we get a day. internationally we get, the,
2: we get the full international day, mm-hmm. but it was this past week, and we did this episode last year, and I loved it so much, and so we just decided that we would do a sequel. Yeah, yeah. So very much like we did last time, Arden and I have chosen. Really amazing uh, female-identifying humans who have really given to the world. I think mine are mostly U.S. specific, but some of them. I think I have like one or two that are not U.S. specific. Oh, interesting. Just through because I just saw and I was like, "This is cool." Whatever, we make the rules. So yeah, we make the, it's our show. We make the rules. Do what the fuck we yeah, want. but primarily mine are U.S. specific. Mine are, I think
1: all us specific
2: look i deviated from the rules and that's what it is you make the rules i make the rules you set the trends you make the rules exactly right but yeah i don't know what arden's gonna tell me arden doesn't know what i'm gonna tell her and we're gonna see if we continue our streak of not doing the same person or same thing we've been like very good Mm-hmm. When we do these sorts of things about not choosing the same people, because I think we just have our brains work differently. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. And we have the types of, I don't know, just like the interests that we have and like what we choose to like elevate and prioritize are like all great, but just like different ideas of things. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I think it's so much fun. Like yeah. my my like especially the ones at the end so we're gonna do some like longer ones and then we'll do some like quick more like rapid fire smaller blurbs mine are all very like within a theme i think like three out of the four and i didn't really realize it until i was like
2: oh look at that Mm, okay look at that it was like it was like that when we did the one where you chose primarily inventors yeah yeah love it yeah so arden do you want to go first or do you want me to go first
1: Uh, I'll go first. Okay. I feel like you always want to go first. Do you want to go first? You can go first. No, no, I never want to go first. My kindergarten teacher had to have a conversation with my mom about not always wanting to go first. So if you would like
2: to go first. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. My, this is a quick aside because it's one of the funniest things. When I was in third grade, my parents had to have a, like my, uh, uh, they had to come in and talk to my third grade teacher because- I kept doing this thing where I would just like get up and go up and hug her.
1: Oh and, and they needed
2: me and she <laughs> she needed me to stop doing that. Oh. And then in fourth grade I got in trouble because I wouldn't stop singing in class. I was like, I had, Oh I my just, god, you're
1: just a pure fucking soul.
2: I was just marching to the oh. beat of my own drum, I would just get up and hug her. And then my parents were like, Elizabeth, stop <laughs> stop hugging your teacher. <laughs> stop That's singing in class so
1: fucking cute oh my god yeah. i used to there was like an after school teacher who was like a friend of no it was like the mom of a friend of mine who like i don't know for whatever reason i just whatever i would see her in the hallway i could be like in line for class i would just go hug her yeah i simply i was yes. like you are a safe human for me yeah in this no I... school
2: of holy fully...
1: horrible catholic bitches
2: mm-hmm yeah. I mean, God bless. God Thank bless. you. It was God trauma. It was trauma torture. torture. Capital <laughs> D, trauma. Yes. That was my aside. Anywho, you go first and I'll go second. And that's what we're going to do. So tell me who your first person is. Okay. My first
1: person is Grace Hopper.
2: Okay, I don't know who this is. Okay, and great. I did not do Grace Hopper. Okay, great. And that's Yay. my that's my one fear is that for these two big ones that we I do know. the same one. Just like <laughs> No,
1: nope. nope. Tell me about Grace. Okay, Grace Hopper. So, in 1934, Grace Hopper earned her PhD in mathematics, becoming one of the very first women to hold such a degree. Love it. I know. So good. She went on to help, quote, develop a compiler that was a precursor to the widely used COBOL language for computers, close quote, and she became a rear admiral in the U.S. Navy. So she, like... Oh, my
2: God, wait. Wait, I have heard of this woman. Did
1: computer things. Yeah. Did she
2: become, like, the highest ranked woman in the Army or something like that?
1: Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So badass.
1: So badass. And, like, the pictures of her, you're like, oh, you not only, like, on paper are badass, but, like, this woman looks badass. Yeah. They're, like, she looks, yeah. I was, like, yeah, I, I, like, I fear her a little bit just even from her pictures. Like, she looks badass. So, she was the daughter of Walter Fletcher Murray, who was a Yale graduate in 1894.
2: Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) No, And her mother, uh, her mother's name was Mary Campbell Van Horn. I love how, like, just because of the age of the, like, she... Er, like Grace Hopper earned her PhD in 1934. Like the like the the father has like creds after his name always in these mm. things. and then it's just mm-hmm. like, and the mom. And you're like, fuck nah. off. like yeah. <laughs> so Grace Brewster Murray, who's Grace Hopper, was born in 1906 in New York
2: City. Wow.
1: Yeah. And I should say this is all coming from Marie Claire and Yale.
2: I did Marie Claire for a lot. Ooh, I wonder if we're going to have some crossovers for our rapid fire. Did you pull from Marie Claire for our rapid fire?
1: Uh, maybe one or two. Okay.
2: I love it. I yep. love it. Her
1: father, Grace Hopper's father, owned an insurance company and she was educated in private schools and the family summered in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. Oh my
2: God. Okay. Yes. So they had money is we got what some that means. Money. We if got you some summer. Money. You have money.
1: If summered is a verb that you partook
2: in. You've got money. You've
1: got monies. In 1928, she graduated Phi Beta Kappa
2: from Vassar College with a degree in mathematics and physics. Oh my God. I'm always shocked by people who have a degree in mathematics. Like a whole
1: degree. A whole ass degree, especially back in like these days of mathematics when like you had... There were no, I mean, you're talking about like just rulers and pencil and paper. And like, your brain. And your brain.
2: Like I, Yeah, your brain is a computer.
1: Yeah, literally could um, not have handled this course load even now with all of the things available to me. Absolutely no, math not. No, was,
2: math was never my strong suit. In fact, my pre-calculus teachers told me my junior year of high school that I should not take calculus for my senior year because, just. <laughs> I was, I had the lowest, um, I performed the lowest out of the class. And he was like, I think you should take college algebra, which was the easier of the two courses between calculus and college algebra. And I was like, (laughs) that's fair. That's completely fair. I'm not a strong mathematician. No.
1: Oh my God. I love it. She received, so Grace Hopper in 1930 received her master's degree in mathematics from Yale. And then in 1931, she began teaching mathematics at Vassar while pursuing her doctorate at Yale under computer pioneer Howard Engstrom. And then in 1934, she completed her PhD in mathematics and mathematical physics at Yale. During a one-year sabbatical from Vassar, Hopper studied with the famous mathematician Richard Courant at NYU, New York University. But then after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the United States entry into World War II, Hopper decided to join the war effort.
2: My God! Sure, yes. sure. I mean, yes, correct. We need uh, math helps us, you know, with the, with the literally bombs. launch
1: the bombs. The bombs need math.
2: That's the all bombs I got. do need math. The bombs, the bombs need math. <laughs> the bombs need math. Yes, absolutely. Hot take. Absolutely. Hot take.
1: So she was initially rejected because of her age and quote diminutive size. Meaning she's small. I think she's small. I think that I think they are referring to her sh- her short stature.
2: Oh man, I come know. Come on, give her a chance. Come
1: on, give her a chance. But she persisted, taking a leave of absence from Vassar, where she was an associate professor. Hopper joined the U.S. Naval Reserve and the Women's Reserve in December of 1943 and was assigned to the Bureau of Ships computation project at Harvard. <laughs> yeah,
2: a whole division. A whole, A whole ass division, division dedicated to what ships and computations? computations,
1: Bureau of Ships
2: Computations project. Yeah, I love it. I, I don't even it. know what Absolutely. that means. I couldn't tell you what that word means, I, I wouldn't have I, said it right. It was the,
1: <laughs> I mean, computa- I get what computation is, but the Bureau of Ships Computation, I just am like. They were doing Luck. whole ass things I could not even pretend to understand.
2: They'll make a bureau out of anything these days. And I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I think every I think every big thing should have a bureau. Why not? Make it a bureau. I mean, come on. I yep. want to call my friend group the bureau. Like that's, it sounds cool. It's,
1: I, yes. So then the close relationship between the American military and the early computer industry was nurtured by the first... First, by World War II and then by the Cold War, and shaped Hopper's career path. So, because like tech, computers, you know, all of that stuff was becoming more prominent in the way that we were waging our wars, all of the stuff that Hopper studied, knew about everything that she had to do, like that had to do with mathematics, she was like well versed in.
2: Yeah. She was like, yeah, we can get the bomb from point A to point B. And here's the equation to do it. Here's the
1: equation. Hopper and her fellow officers in the Harvard lab worked on top-secret calculations essential to the war effort. They computed rocket trajectories, created range tables for new anti-aircraft guns, and calibrated minesweepers.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? I mean, are you me, too, be doing? me too. Me too. Absolutely. I am doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently. I'm currently doing that right now.
1: <laughs> actively in my brain, calibrating minesweepers. Very actively. Doing?
2: Very actively.
1: Yeah. In addition to their work for the Navy, Hopper and her colleagues also completed calculations for the Army and, quote, ran numbers, close quote, used by John von Neumann in developing the plutonium bomb dropped on Nagasaki in Japan.
2: Oh, good gracious. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So then, throughout her career in the private sector, Hopper had remained a Navy reservist. In 1966, age restrictions forced her to retire from the Navy as a commander. Dang. I know, right? Like, fuck you. Honestly. Age restrictions. Clearly before they passed the age discrimination because-
2: Absolutely. This is what, yeah. 60s? No, come on. Yeah, come on.
1: She later called it, quote, the saddest day of my life. Oh my God. I know, right? Like, that's that sucks. Like, you're being forced to- you No. Know. Seven months later, however, at the age of 60, she was recalled to active service- Increasing operations in Southeast Asia were taxing the navy's capacities, and her help was needed to standardize the navy's multiple computer languages. Yes, yes.
2: So they literally like were like, "You have to, you have to quit because you're too old." But then actually, come back, come back and help us I'm standardize bad. because
1: we don't but know no, how to do. There's oh, too many I can many do the things. computer stuff. You know, uh. you don't deserve her.
2: You don't deserve her. Sorry, I don't make the rules. No, nope. no, thank you. And she did it. She went back, like. I mean that is the public. I mean she loves mathematics. Oh, she, I mean she's a patriot at this point. Yeah. Her country's calling upon her. What is she gonna do? Say no.
1: No. Come on. No, really. Mm, no. And go fuck yourselves for kicking me out of the navy. Good luck with your multiple computer languages. Hope it all works. <laughs> out. <laughs> no. Yeah. She was a patriot. But she was nicknamed Amazing Grace by her subordinates. Well dang. Yeah, I know. Hopper remained on active duty for 19 years after that. So also, who was this asshole who was like, you're too old. You have to retire. And then they left her on in service until she was, what, 79? Like, Yeah. Okay.
2: Look, they realized the error of their ways yes. and were like, actually, Anything let's on. keep her around. Let's it's an about phase.
1: When we make when we change our minds for the better,
2: God bless Godspeed. Okay, God, speed. God Absolutely. bless Godspeed. You can always yep. apologize. Yep. Absolutely. Yep.
1: She retired from UNIVAC, a division of Sperry Rand, in 1972, which was like a private company. And then at the age of 79, Hopper retired as Rear Admiral. She was the oldest serving officer in the United States Armed Forces. That same year, she went to work as a senior consultant in public relations at the Digital Equipment Corporation. This woman is almost 80 and is still like... She's
2: busy. She's busy. She's busy. She's She's busy. My,
1: My busy at 80, I mean, like, hopefully I will still be like... I love to still be traveling and writing and doing all of the things but I will not be working in consulting.
2: No, absolutely not. You Don't can absolutely
1: me. guarantee that. Absolutely not. No. So she uh went to work as a senior consultant in public relations where she worked and up until a year before her death in 1992.
2: I love that. I know. I Just love that.
1: Just hard at work. I mean like bless her she didn't want to be bored.
2: She's a career woman. We She's love to see. She's a career
1: woman. It. Yep. Hopper was buried with full military honors in Arlington National Cemetery. And then in 2016, she posthumously received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor and recognition of her remarkable contributions to the field of computer science.
2: I love that. Yeah. As she deserves. As she As deserves. She de- deserves. And that's Grace Hopper. I love it. Yeah. I love a military woman. I really do. So good. So good. Surped our country. Absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. My first one is Angela Davis. Great. I love this. Yes, 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 yes. Great. Yes. Here we go. So these notes are coming from a couple of different sources because I talk about a couple of different elements. Um, so biography.com, history.com, obviously, and then a really great article in the from The Guardian by... I think it's Lern or Lerne Bakri, but they wrote a very great article about her and just sort of like her impact. So I'm just gonna start at the top with her early life. So Davis was born on January 26, 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama. She grew up in a middle class neighborhood dubbed Dynamite Hill due to many of the African American homes in the area that were bombed by the KKK. Oh my God. So this was like this neighborhood, the KKK was constantly setting fire to their houses and it was dubbed this, this name. Davis's father, Frank, owned a service station while her mother, Sally, taught elementary school and was an active member in the NAACP. As a teenager, Davis organized interracial study groups, which were eventually broken up by the police. And she knew some of the four African-American girls killed in the Birmingham church bombings of 1963. She moved to New York at 15 to attend high school there and went to West Germany to study philosophy and Marxism under Herbert I think it's Marcuse at the Frankfurt School. And she came back to the U.S. by the end of the 1960s, where she was an active member in the Black Panthers and a member of the Communist Party. Her links to communism meant that the then California Ronald Reagan had her sacked from her position as acting professor of philosophy at UCLA. So she ended up coming wow. back. She ended up teaching philosophy. Ronald Reagan, who was then the governor, was like, this woman has to be fired she ended up like taking UCLA to court and she got her position back uh-huh. legally and then stayed until her contract was over and then left. What I think people will, a big thing that surrounded her was the fact that she was put on trial for, I think, attempted murder and kidnapping. And i talk to you about the facts surrounding that case and how she, I mean, as we, I think if you are familiar with Angela Davis- you know, she's obviously not in prison, so how that kind of turned out. So I'm going to talk about the Soldad brothers, which is the reason why this, her trial ended up coming to pass. So outside of academia, Angela Davis had become a strong supporter of three prison inmates of Soldad prison known as the Soldad brothers, which they were not related. These three men, John W. Cluchette, Philippe Drumgo and George Lester Jackson were accused of killing a prison guard after several African-American inmates had been killed in a fight by another guard. So this big fight happened because a African-American prisoner was killed by a guard. There was a a revolt. Another prison guard got killed and these three men were charged with that murder. During George Lester Jackson's trial in August of 1970, an escape attempt was made when Jackson's brother, Jonathan, entered the courtroom to claim hostages he could exchange for his brother. Jonathan Jackson, Superior Judge Harold Haley, and two inmates were killed in the ensuing shootout. Angela Davis was brought up on several charges for her alleged part in the event, including murder, She went into hiding and was one of the FBI's most wanted before being caught two months later. Wow. There were two pieces of evidence used in the trial. The guns used were registered to her and she was reportedly in love with Jackson. (laughs) Her case drew international press and she ended up spending 18 months in jail prior to her actual trial. And so the FBI attempts to tie Angela Davis to this. Now, again, If you're familiar with this time period, it is, to me personally, a very questionable time period um, of the FBI because Mm -hmm. you have, you know, the assassination of Fred Hampton happening at the same time and just sort of like this aggressive, aggressive guerrilla tactics that the FBI was using to sort of bring down the Black Panthers and like their supporters and all that. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people attribute Angela Davis being like charged for this event that she it's very questionable if she how they could possibly tie her to it right they tie it to the fbi's sort of like continual trying to bring down this organization um Hmm. so anywho now let's go to her trial which i think is it's it's pretty amazing so despite having assembled an imposing team of attorneys angela davis chose to make the opening defense address herself Mm. She kept the political rhetoric to a minimum, preferring to underscore serious flaws in the prosecution's case, mm-hmm. and mostly the fact that she had bought the shotgun quite openly in her unname, and more importantly, her insistence that the Marin shooting had nothing to do with George Dax and this guy she was supposedly in love with. And throughout the trial, I mean, I'm not going to go into the super details of the trial, but they just eviscerate the prosecution's case (laughs) and you know because it's not it's not they didn't have (laughs) credible evidence you know to tie her to this case and she ended up being found not guilty on all charges by an all-white jury oh wow yeah so that was like the other thing when when the jury selection was happening everybody was like this is not going to pan out well. Right. And then she shows up. She shows up. She like, it's, it's such, it's, there's so many great images of her at this trial because she's just like fully, like it's just fully her herself. And just, I don't know. I, to me, I just, I I look at what happened in that trial and it was such a big F you to the FBI Mm. that, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't take her down this way. You know, Mm. they had to try, they had to try harder. Wow. So, And it was like this big, the trial was huge and everybody was showing such support for Angela Davis. And this is really kind of what brought her into the, you know, the, the fold of kind of, I think what, how we know her so well now is Mm. this trial had a lot to do with it. So afterwards in 1974, she published Angela Davis, an autobiography in 1980, she ran for U.S. vice president on the unsuccessful communist party ticket, (laughs) which I love it. I love it. Among her writings are the books Women, Race, and Class, Women, Culture, and Politics, and Blue Legacies and Black Feminism, Gertrude Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, and Billie Holiday, and Are Prisons Obsolete? And so she's gone on and she's continued to be a, a professor, mostly, I think, primarily of philosophy. She's now, like, uber, uber tenured. She ended up going back to teach at UCLA, like... 50 years later as this like kind of full circle moment and so like many other educators professor davis is especially concerned with the general tendency to devote more resources and attention to the prison system than to educational institutions having helped to prioritize the notion of a prison industrial complex she now urges people to think seriously about the future possibility of a world without prisons and to help forge a 21st century abolitionist movement. Wow. So she's obviously still big in prison reforms and there was this amazing amazing interview that she gave when she was awaiting trial. I think with a like a Swedish news source, but she sat down for this this televised interview. There was this really amazing quote that she said about violence and, you know, how sort of Black liberation movements, the question is always like, how can you condone this violence? And, and she has a really amazing response that I will post because it's very thoughtful. But yeah, that is Angela Davis. I mean, she's obviously still living, still working, still giving feedback among us, but yeah. Um, yeah. An icon for sure. Like a really uh,
1: storied life.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, for when sure. you've when you've been put on trial for murder and attempted kidnapping, like you've lived,
1: you have you have a <laughs> you know? life, and, it, like, and it's uh, the
2: FBI coming after you, and you were on the FBI. That's what's crazy is yeah. like this woman who's now you know obviously so highly respected like a tenured professor, all of these societal accolades, at one point was on the FBI's most wanted list.
1: Just goes to show. Don't let anything get you down.
2: Don't let any You can, you can overcome. You can overcome. You can overcome. <laughs> you can overcome. Absolutely. You can
1: overcome.
2: We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Next up for me is, I'm going to guess you don't know who this is. I didn't know who this was until i read this and uh i oh
2: boy think
1: it's like right up my alley althea gibson
2: wait is she one <gasps> is she of your seven wait hold on <laughs> no but i think i considered her okay great okay Check good on. she's not one of my seven
1: okay great so in 1951 althea gibson made her historic debut as the first african-american woman to play at wimbledon
2: Uh, Yes, 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 yes. I was like, tennis? Yes, I'll
1: do a tennis thing. yes, Yes,
2: yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. So Althea Gibson was born on August 25th, 1927 in Silver, South Carolina. She died on September 28th, 2003 in East Orange, New Jersey, just across the river. Love it. She was an American tennis player who dominated women's competition in the late 1950s. She was the first black player to win the French... Uh, the French Open in 1956, Wimbledon 1957 and 58, and the U.S. Open in 57-58 in singles championships. Um, I should say, this is all coming from Britannica and Britannicaandhistory.com. So she grew up in New York City, where she began playing tennis at an early age under the auspices of the New York Police Athletic League. In 1942, she won her first tournament, which was sponsored by the American Tennis Association, also known as ATA, which was an organization founded by African-American players. In 1947, she captured the ATA's Women's Singles Championship, which she would hold for 10 consecutive years. hmm while attending Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University in Tallahassee, she continued to play in tournaments around the country and in 1950 became the first Black player to enter the National Grass Court Championship Tournament at Forest Hills in Queens, New York.
2: Yes! hmm
1: The next year, she entered the Wimbledon Tournament, again, first Black player ever invited. She was tall and lean and soon became noted for her dominating serves and powerful play. hmm Until 1956, Gibson had only fair success in match tennis play, but that year she won a number of tournaments in Asia and Europe, including the French and Italian singles titles and the women's doubles title at Wimbledon. She won the U.S. mixed doubles and the Australian women's doubles in 1957. That year, Gibson was voted Female Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press, becoming the first African American to receive the honor. She also won the award the following year. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. After winning Wimbledon and the U.S. Open again in 1958, Gibson retired from amateur tennis. In 1960, she toured with the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team. Get it, honey.
2: Yes. Absolutely, yes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Playing exhibition tennis matches before their games. Love.
2: Absolutely. Come on. That's amazing. Have fun,
1: honey. You did it. You've won the things. Have fun. However... Since there were few tournaments and prizes for women at the time, she took up professional golf in in 1964. Oh,
2: my God. She's playing a Michael Jordan. And she's she, just totally.
1: The original sports.
2: OG I Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm.
1: And she was the first African-American member of the Ladies Professional Golf Association.
2: <laughs> the Hell's LPGA. Yeah.
1: yeah. Hell's she's just like, yeah. what other titles can I claim? Anybody? Anybody? Mm, golf.
2: I'll, do, I'll just take, take, a, I'll take a swing at it
1: oh (laughs) my god
2: (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) (gasps) we're just gonna let
1: that linger in the air for a moment do
2: you have to let it linger
1: such a good song i know i love that song the trailblazing athlete played pro golf until 1971 The same year in which she was voted into the National Lawn Tennis Association Hall of Fame.
2: I love that there's a Hall of Fame. Where is it? Do we know?
1: The International Tennis Hall of Fame is in Newport, Rhode Island. The complex, which was the former Newport Casino, includes a museum, grass court tennis, an indoor tennis facility. And yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Great. Great. And then after serving as New Jersey's commissioner of athletics from 1975 to 1985, Althea Gibson died at the age of 76 from respiratory failure on September twenty eighth, 2003, at a hospital in East Orange, New Jersey.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So she
1: played tennis, and then she played golf, and she was the first black woman to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, First to, like, play. She won a lot of tournaments. And then she, like, was the commissioner of athletics for 10 years. And honestly, like, that sounds like a great job if I did sports That sounds great.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know me. This is like a great a job for you.
1: I think you should move to New Jersey and be a commissioner of of athletics. Thank
2: you. I mean, I I would turn into my worst self <laughs> if I was the commissioner of athletics anywhere. I would just be.
1: Oh. Can we also talk about how I wasn't even aware that a commissioner of, of athletics existed?
2: Oh yeah, it's a whole thing. I had no idea. Like like Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL. Who you like, obviously don't know who he- <laughs> I mean I've heard
1: of the name. Have yes, heard of he's the name. It's like
2: the commissioner. It's like the head of something, you know.
1: But like that's for like the organization. This is New Jersey's commissioner of athletics. Like the state yeah. had.
2: Yeah, like the head of the state. Yeah. That's a thing. Do we still do that? Do we still have these people? I don't know. No, oh, I don't okay. know. We might. Okay. I don't Be know. Right. Well, also I think it's different it's also different for the sport, you know, and like True that's so it just varies uh, different things do different positions but I love yes it is a position okay here's my next one which is a true and utter curve ball but I think it's so obvious like when I thought of her I was like obviously obviously we have to do this so I am doing none other Amelia Earhart no oh. come on no that's that's too on the nose I'm doing none other than Dolly Parton. Oh. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's Dolly It's literally genius. Oh so, my god. Great. <laughs> these notes are coming from you guessed it, dollyparton.com, her yes. official website, and the countrymusichalloffame.org. So,
1: oh my god, a lot's going hit on. me so, with some factoids.
2: Her life and career Together, make a rags-to-rhinestone story, which began on January 19th, 1946.
1: Already, this is good.
2: I know. This is from her website. Born the fourth child of 12, Dolly grew up in Locust Ridge, nestled against the Great Smoky Mountains. Music runs deep in the Parton family, and while many played important parts in Dolly's success, she credits Uncle Bill Owens for helping her get her start in the music business. Parton was encouraged by her tentative attempts in music by her uncle, who bought her a guitar and who, by the time she was 10 years old, managed to land her a stint on a television variety show in the nearest big town, Knoxville, Nashville soon took note of her, and she made her first guest appearance on the Grand Ole Opry at age 13 in 1959. She also recorded a single for a small Louisiana label and one for Mercury Records in Nashville in 1962. Parton was not daunted by the lack of success in her early recordings, so in 1964, she packed her bags and left for Nashville after graduating from high school. Her first day in town, she met her future husband, who was a contractor named Carl Dean, in a laundromat. Her musical career progressed apace. People began to take note of her as a songwriter, especially after a pair of songs she wrote with Bill Owens became top 10 hits for Bill Phillips in 1966. She then recorded for Fred Foster's Monument Records from 1965 to 1967, With Dumb Blonde, which was a song of hers, that attacked traditional female stereotypes, becoming her first top 40 hit. So Dumb Blonde is what, like, put her on on the the map, 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 honey. Parton's first solo number one hit was her composition, Joshua, that led to three more number one songs in 1974. Jolene, Love is Like a Butterfly, and I Will Always Love You. So here's the thing. Oh my god. We all think the song, I Will Always Love You, you associate it with Whitney Houston. Yes. It is written and performed first by Dolly Parton, which you probably obviously know. But I remember like when I was younger, it was crazy to me. I didn't realize.
1: I think maybe I knew that at some point, but it's still like I must have. I don't know. I think I forgot because it's like. Somewhat surprising she, to me, like it's yeah,
2: but yeah. She's written like approximately one million songs. <laughs> she, if you, there's an amazing Netflix documentary about her that came out a couple months ago, and everybody should watch it. A because it's just a feel good, but it really, it really shows you just how much she has written mm. and record. Like she's her body of work is enormous. Mm. She just writes songs all the it. time. This is continuing on and this is still the this is coming from the country music hall of fame now. Parton's country career became erratic after that. However, even as her name became a household one as she became a constant presence on network TV, appearing on talk shows, specials, and a brief self-titled series of her own in 1976. Mm. Her movie career bounced from stellar 9 to 5 to forgettable, and they list Rhinestone, which (laughs) attempted to make Sylvester Stallone a believable country singer. Her recording triumphs included 1987's Trio album and the 1993 Honky Tonk Angels collaboration with Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette. In 1992, the singer Whitney Houston recorded Parton's I Will Always Love You, which became a number one smash hit in the pop market, partly due to its inclusion in the soundtrack for the movie The Bodyguard, but I also think that, like, this this song has gone way, oh, way the, beyond bodyguard. The, the Bodyguard. The Bodyguard. LOL, Kevin Costner. Absolutely not. Parton has also demonstrated her business acumen in several ventures, most notably the theme park Dollywood in East Tennessee, in 1985, she and other investors opened the park, which has become one of the South's leading tourist attractions. Through Dollywood and the nonprofit Dollywood Foundation, Parton has contributed in many ways to her home county's economy and to scholarship programs for high school students. Her Imagination Library, which gives one free book a month to children from birth to age five, has distributed more than 100 million books and expanded from East Tennessee to towns across the United States and into England and Australia.
1: Oh, I did know that she did that.
2: Yeah, I've Mm -hmm. heard of that. She also supports the Dolly Parton Center for Women's Services in Syriville. And there is now a life-size statue of Parton on the lawn- of the Servier County Courthouse. In 2004, the Library of Congress presented Parton with the Living Legend Award for her contributions to the United States cultural landscape. In 2005, she received the National Medal of Arts, which is the highest award given to artists by the US government. And a year later, she received the prestigious Kennedy Center Honors. Wow. And then finally, As the coronavirus began to spread worldwide in April of 2020, the icon donated $1 million to the disease research at Vanderbilt University, which helped fund Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. I did hear about that one. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I saw the Mm -hmm. picture
2: of her getting the vaccine. Mm. Yep. So she gave a million dollars to Vanderbilt, which was at the time developing the vaccine and the Moderna. And that's how it's, you know. So we like to say that it's Dolly's vaccine. I mean Dolly's not just vaccine. Dolly's, but that's the one I have. I have Dolly's vaccine. I don't I don't have either, but I would love Dolly's. You know, obviously would love all any any of the three that are out right now. But uh but yeah, Moderna yep. is the Dolly Parton vaccine. That's amazing. Yeah, she's she's unreal. Yep. So I just I thought, let's give space to good old Dolly. That, that was
1: a great that's a great that was a great selection. I thoroughly Thank enjoyed you. that. Thank mm-hmm. you.
2: Thank you. So now let's do our little rapid fire yeah. rounds. So That's these are cute. just like other amazing women. We have little blurbs about them and we're just going to boom, boom, boom and close out with some rapid fires. So uh, I'll start with this one. This is Junko Taipei and... This is, this is her story. So mountaineer Junko Taipei shattered gender norms in 1975 when she became the first woman to successfully climb Mount Everest. Mm. She strengthened her legacy by later becoming the first woman ever to reach the Seven Peaks, which is the highest points of the Earth's seven continents in 1992. Nice. That's my first one.
1: Awesome. My first one is, these are, mine all come from Marie Claire. They had a nice little. Mine are bush. also
2: coming from Marie Claire, so I can't wait to see. Oh my god, the this is gonna ones. be if
1: we manage to pull this off. This will be crazy. This will be crazy. Okay, my first one that I'm gonna do is Elizabeth Taylor.
2: No, oh my god, I didn't do it. Oh Liz, my god, okay, great. Oh yes. my goodness. Okay, great. So I got Liz. Okay.
1: Elizabeth Taylor. The reason why, I mean, she's obviously like celebrity, actress, all things in that realm. But the reason that I chose her was because she started the Elizabeth Taylor HIV AIDS Foundation in 1991. Mm -hmm. After a close friend, Rock Hudson, who like I grew up watching, love Rock Hudson, died from the disease. The foundation Mm -hmm. lends support to those who are sick and funds research for more advanced treatments. Taylor was a pioneer at a time when many celebrities and most politicians were not talking about the AIDS crisis. And she was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a fucking foundation for this shit. Mm -hmm. We got to address this.
2: And she did. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. My next one is Dr. Kismikia S. Corbett. And Dr. Corbett is a research fellow and lead at the Coronavirus Vaccines and immu- Immunopathogenesis. Jesus Christ. Oh, my team. Lord, honey. I am so <laughs> proud of you. Thank you. Uh, team at the National Institute of Health. She also just happened to lead the team that successfully developed the Moderna vaccine. Mm. On December 18th, 2020, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for the shot. Which has an astounding 94 to 95% efficacy against clinical disease and a nearly 100% efficacy against serious disease. Ooh. So she was like the head of the team that developed the the Moderna vaccine. That's awesome. Funded by Dolly. So we're coming very full full circle.
1: circle. Full (laughs) circle. Full circle. Full circle from, you know, 10 minutes ago. Love. Love. My second person that I'm gonna do is Hedy Lamar. No,
2: nope, I don't. <gasps> know okay, okay. Yeah.
1: okay, we're doing really well. We're doing really well. We're halfway there. Yeah. So, Hedy Lamar was an actress during the golden age of cinema, but she's also credited with helping to co invent a radio signaling device, aka a secret communications system. Mm-hmm, the system mm-hmm. changed radio frequencies to confuse and hinder enemies during World War II. And it's a crucial part of how we communicate wirelessly today. And I just think yes. that it's the fucking hottest thing. Yes. That this woman was like, I'm an ingenue and also fucking badass. Like, yeah, that's I remember. So... I
2: remember this yeah. woman. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. I she's think amazing. Yeah, I, she's been on my radar before. Yeah. Totally incredible. Yeah. The next one for me is going to be, ooh, who to choose, who to choose. Okay. Madeleine Albright. Great. Albright became the first female Secretary of State when in 1996, President Clinton selected her to represent the United States in foreign affairs. An advocate for human rights, she fought to prevent the expansion of nuclear weapons and broker peace in the Middle East.
0: Aww. Madeleine
2: Albright. Madeleine. I love that name, Madeleine.
1: A little political one. Yep. Okay, my next one is Dr. May C. Jemison.
2: I did I did I did May ah! Jemison. That's okay.
1: Okay, this It's pretty good. One. It's pretty good. Like we, had, great. To at great. You, we you had to some point. You you do her. her. I
2: have I have two more, so it's all Okay, good. great.
1: I have one more after this. Okay. Dr. May C. Jemison was the first African American woman to be accepted into NASA's astronaut program. Like ah, oh, so It's cool. because we
2: both love space. That's it's why It's because we, we both chose love this. space. Yes. It's because we both love space.
1: It's it really Yes, it makes perfect sense. Honestly, I am not shocked that we both chose this. Yes. She went on to become the first African-American woman to fly into space in 1992 aboard the Endeavor. Ah, so good. So good. So good.
2: Okay, my next one is Toni Morrison. Oh, nice. Good. Yep. So, Toni Morrison was a writer and professor who shot into the national spotlight after the release of her first novel, The Bluest Eye, in 1970. From then on, Morrison was committed to telling stories about Black lives through poetic and intimate prose, winning the National Book Critics Circle Award in 1977 for Song of Solomon and the Pulitzer Prize for Beloved in 1988. After the third novel in the Beloved Trilogy was published, she became the first Black woman to win the 1993 Nobel Prize in Literature. Mm, very good. And that's Toni Morrison. I love. All right. Hit me with your last one.
1: All right. My last one is... Catherine Bigelow.
2: No, but I love it. I okay, love great. it. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Great. Catherine Bigelow was the first woman to win the Academy Award for Best Director for her film The Hurt Locker, which is so good, which also won Best Picture in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. was yeah. the first time a woman won an Academy Award for Best Director. Like. Yep. That is absolutely batshit crazy. That's Bananas. like. 12 years ago yep has a woman
2: won it since
1: i don't know there were other people nominated in 1993 jane campion for the piano
2: oh sure
1: sophia coppola for lost in translation in 2003 Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. but Catherine
1: biglow is the only woman who's won the goddamn award
2: (laughs) i love it perfect we just need the one and no The
1: Hurt is, like, a dude movie.
2: I mean, it's literally about the war in Afghanistan. <laughs> yes, you cannot like, get
1: more like dude-centric
2: than that. Dude-centric <laughs> than that. <sighs> okay. It's an intense film. It's great.
1: Yeah, it's a great film.
2: So I have two more, so I'll just do them yeah. one after the other. The first one, I just... I don't even... I don't think we've given her a space yet. But I think we'll do a full episode on her at a later date, but... Sandra Day O'Connor. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um. So in 1981, O'Connor became the first woman appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and she was nominated by President Ronald Reagan. The Senate vote to appoint her was unanimous, and she was a key swing vote in upholding big cases like Roe v. Wade. So I do believe she leaned conservative most of the time, but was yeah. on occasion a swing, kind of. Has a John Roberts vibe about her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then finally, my last one is Claudia Jones. And Claudia Jones was one of the most influential black radical and feminist intellectuals of the 20th century. Born in Trinidad in 1915, Jones migrated to Harlem during the 1920s and became an active member of the Communist Party. A gifted writer and journalist, Jones worked to broaden Marxist theory by centering women gender and race her groundbreaking article an end to the neglect of the problems of the negro women published in 1949 emphasized the triple oppression of race class and gender laying the foundation of what kimberly crenshaw later termed as intersectionality hmm so just a little intellectual to kind of end our series with i love it and those are the women for this episode Uh, I'm I'm shocked we didn't choose the same ones. It's it's just it's crazy really how we continue, except when it comes to NASA people. Because we love when we love when women are doing things with space. With space,
1: yes, absolutely. I, it is quite astounding to me that we continue to like successfully skirt what could be a very real and big problem.
0: Of when doing. We record this these exact episodes, and we yeah, like yes.
1: we, we, we could very well choose the exact same people, and then we would be screwed. Um, we, can, we successfully continue to avoid that and, and bond and unite over our love of space. I love
2: it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But that's our episode, you guys. So as always, if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. Please rate us, review us, and subscribe to us. And we love you so, so much. So we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.